Hi, this is Dave Summers, and welcome to AMA Edgewise. On today's program, we're going to hand the microphone over to co-producer and chief marketing strategist for our digital media team, Doug Sohn. Doug, why don't you take it away? Gene Bliss pioneered the role of chief customer officer, holding the first ever CCO role for over 20 years at Land's End, Microsoft, Coldwell Banker, and Allstate Corporations. She has driven achievement of 95% loyalty rates, improving customer experiences across 50,000-person organizations. She's now the president of Customer Bliss, where her clients include AAA, St. Jude's Children's Hospital, Johnson & Johnson, the U.S. Postal System, and Brooks Brothers. Her latest book is Would You Do That to Your Mother, published by Portfolio Penguin. Welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. We are so proud to have you because, like I mentioned, I've been following you on Twitter for just years. That's an honor. Thank you. you. Well, you offer up all this great advice. Well, I'm Italian. My my grandma's always left us all with a bag of groceries when we left their house, and I feel that's my job with all of my community is to keep nourishing them, keep them loading up that bag of groceries. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Okay, so now in the book, you say that companies should approach how they act towards every customer as if they're dealing with their mom. So how does that impact the way they interact with their employees, customers, and other stakeholders? Well, it's a great question because what we know about this work is what's on the inside shows up on the outside. Right. As I work with chief customer officers and leaders around the world, it's the underbelly of the organization that impacts the experience more than almost anything else. And so how you work with each other, are you uniting, are you honoring each other, has everything to do with how much you're connecting the experience for the customer. And so there's this nurturing involved. Nurturing and respect, right? You know, I mean, what's interesting is there's a case study in the book about Cleveland Clinic, and they knew that they needed to change how they saw each other because in healthcare, as in many organizations, there's a caste system. Right. Doctors, technicians, janitors, they were all looked at and apprised differently. And so Toby Cosgrove, the CEO, decided as part of their transformation that he would elevate everyone's role to caregiver. Right. So if you're a caregiver, you're caring for your customer as well as each other. How do you embed that attitude as well as those qualities and, you know, going back to mom, those behaviors into how people act and honor each other? Excellent. Now, why is this make your mom proud approach to customers just as important to CEO strategy? You mentioned chief customer officers. Why is it important for the CEO strategy as well as to the frontline people? So it's it's really what I call a conscience question or a question to make you pause. When you're on the front line talking to a customer, you have a choice about how you're going to deliver. So, for example, I was in insurance for a long time. You can make a choice if you've got to turn down somebody's claim, how you deliver that. One approach is telling them how wrong they are and that they're out of luck and goodbye. Another is to ask them what happened, to honor them and to take care of them. And to leave them with a memory with their dignity intact. So the front line can use that and internalize that in their personal behavior. The senior level people need to make that use that decision to choose how they will or will not grow. Are you going to put fine print in your contracts that make it very difficult for your customer to know what's up and to feel like it's an imbalanced conversation? If you're a company that's losing some revenue, are you going to start adding those nickel-dime add-ons that right. you know may add a little bit of money short-term but is going to lose customers long-term? 
Are you going to be transparent to your customers about what you'll do for them and what you won't? And when you make those decisions at a leadership level, I call that leadership bravery because you're choosing to reverse the trend on normal business practices. And people then will emulate your behavior and it will give them permission to act in their roles in the same way. I'm guessing that's really difficult if there's any, you know, senior leaders listening to this program, which I'm sure there are. I mean, do you have an example of sure. how, how do they get into that mindset? It sounds all well and good, but right. what's a journey? What's a story that somebody got it? And la, did la, it? la, right? So there's a couple that are really well known. One of them is REI. REI chose that their whole clarity of purpose, the whole reason they exist, is to get people outdoors and to enjoy their families. And so Jerry Stritsky, the CEO of REI, this is well known now, uh, doesn't open up the stores on Black Friday. Right. It's a day of family and community, not commerce. If you go on their website, there's a black screen. You kind of got to get beyond it to shop if you really want to. That has created a movement and has grown their business. Virgin Hotels, run by Mr. Branson and Raul Leal, who's the CEO, uh, gave us a wonderful quote for the book. They decided not to nickel and dime at hotels, which is typically a way that hotels, if they're running a little difficult from a revenue standpoint, they create that extra revenue. And Raul Leal, for example, says, you know, Wi-Fi is a right, not a revenue stream. If you want that Snickers bar in the middle of the night, you don't have to worry as you go to grab for it and your hand is shaking that you just spent 10 bucks on a little bit of chocolate. They have something they call street pricing, which is their managers actually go across the market area with a pad and pencil and check out what it would cost at your corner market for that apple, that Snicker bar, that bottle of water, and what you could get locally is what they're going to charge. So it's this really deliberate approach. You know, Southwest Airlines forever has had what they call transparency. They are not going to hide extra fees and other things in their pricing. Another one of my favorite examples is the Columbus Metropolitan Library. Their whole approach is around helping young minds grow. And so what you'll see here is the common thread is are you clear about what your purpose is in supporting customers' lives? If you are, that's the lens. That's the clarity. And so for the Metropolitan Library, Columbus, they got rid of late fees. Because I remember growing up, I had to return a book halfway through because my mom's like, that's going to cost five bucks, right? Exactly. And so what they've done is they will auto-renew your book so you can keep it, but there's not that 10-cent fee thing going on. Clarity of purpose drives leadership behavior and that lens through which you decide. And what's important, you mentioned it earlier, is that then cascades to communication. A lot of people don't know what beacons to follow because, first of all, they don't have practical, tactical actions that the <coughs> leaders have taken. And then nobody communicates it and gives them permission or translates it to their job. Are there some common customer experience failures that you see that can be fixed using this method? Sure. You know, the way I organized the book was actually to make it simple for people to understand the common things that we do to or for customers. In fact, if you read the book, it's the story of our lives as customers. So the first chapter is called Be the Person I Raised You to Be. And in that, it's about enabling employees to thrive. One of the most common things that happens inside of organizations there is 
first of all, they may or may not have a deliberate way for hiring people for their core values. We used to call it at Land's End, where I grew up in business, hiring for the light behind your eyes. So in absence of that, they then pen people in with rules and policies, and you get a policy cop. So the big mistake that happens is they don't hire people for their quality of humanity and who they are and their personal skill sets. And then instead, they just create people who have to read scripts, follow rote policies, and the customer feels it. Everything that you ask for, instead of training and enabling somebody to make a judgment call, they have to go touch the desk and put you on hold. Last night in the hotel I was at, I think I was put on hold five times for different things. That's a, a big thing around this area of be the person I raise you to be. The other thing is not really elevating people to their higher purpose. We were working at a big spa company, and like any company with frontline people, you're going to get what you get when you bring people in. But unless you unite them to the purpose you've got, you're going to have 12 different cultures being delivered to the customer. So for this spa company, instead of bringing in what we called spa technicians, we hired, developed, and enabled customer escape artists. Okay. Now, a customer escape artist has a whole different set of skills, and you enable them to deliver a whole different kind of experience that people will rise to. And I think companies miss the opportunity of creating people's ability to rise to something that lets them do more than just executing tasks. The second chapter is called Don't Make Me Feed You Soap. And that is about the common things that happen in our lives as customers because we're organized around silos, we're inwardly focused. One of the first stories in the book in that chapter is called, Do You Run on Your Time or Customer Time? You know, and I ask questions throughout the book. Would you make your mom wait for a four-hour window in which you tell her you would appear or maybe would not? But that's a clear example of getting your refrigerator repaired or your cable fixed or any other kind of service where we're building in that four-hour time for us and not them. You know, what I love about Amazon Prime, for example, is they run to answer two questions. Do you have what I need and will you get it to me when I want? Another big thing in the SOAP chapter is called Don't Keep Me in the Dark. When something happens, if your power goes out or you miss your flight or your package doesn't arrive, what companies don't realize is that communication shows respect. Communication says, we know you're out there. We know we may have caused a problem for you, but we're here working on it. You know, did you ever lose your luggage? Yes. How fun is that? (laughs) They put the monkey on your back. That's another one in that chapter. They give you everything you ask for. They give you another little piece of work that you've got to go do to advocate on your own behalf. So those two big ones make communication a product. There's a company in the book called Centerpoint Energy, and they put as much investment into communication, apps on the phone, people who respond, as they do to building that energy grid. And they have just won a series of customer accolades because they don't leave people in the dark. I have you is an emotional response that drives advocacy, admiration, and word of mouth. Right. Yeah, and I've been without power for days, and you, you know, when's it coming back? Should I go to a hotel? Exactly. Do I throw out that fish now? Right? (laughs) Your whole life is in peril, potentially. How long do we keep the generator going? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, no, I know exactly. And it seems like it's, it's hiring is a big point. 
you got to figure out how to hire the right people. But then there's also this training aspect. That's right. Training and enabling, right? You know, the word empowerment has been batted around for a long time, but it's become so many different things. I always say, are you enabling your employees to deliver value? One of the things that we do when I work with companies is we'll identify the stages of the journey at a very high level based on the goal the customer's trying to accomplish. A lot of times you talk to people and you say, tell me your journey map, and it's information, selling, acquisition, contract. That's your sales pipeline. That is not your customer journey. So define your customer journey and then ask your employees, what's getting in your way of delivering value here? For example, if you're a B2B company and you have people who go out and call on customers and you tell them to be customer focused and take all the time you need, but you give them so many customers they have to visit on a certain day, you're now forcing them into a situation where they can't possibly deliver value. Right. We right. need It's those operational tactics where you're talking out of both sides of your mouth that yep. tell people they don't mean this really. Exactly. To get to this point, there's so much here and so many companies are failing at mm-hmm. this. Where does somebody start? Reading your book is sure. going to be the first place you start. What's the next step? Well, there's 32 case studies. So it's really 32 mini toolkits. Pick one. The way the book is organized is there's a comic. We learn from common understanding of a situation. And these comics are a situation that we've all gone through as a customer. Then there's an introduction, a case study, and what I call a mom lens. So read that, and you can do it as a daily huddle. Read that. Reflect on the mom lens, which is asking, are you doing it this way? And then in the back of the book, the last chapter is called Stop the Shenanigans, which is a more in-depth evaluation for each of those case studies. So if you bundle those pieces together, you can actually start to diagnose what's getting in your way of achieving this state that these companies are achieving. And then take one and backwards engineer it. Now, there's a thing we do now called human-centered design, and you have to redesign from the customer's life, not from your internal silos. For example, when I was in insurance or any kind of business, the bill in almost every business is a mishmash. Nobody understands it. There's confusion. But if you said to the guy who runs billing in an insurance company, Joe, go fix the bill. He'll say, right. okay, boss, here's the physical bill. Some of this stuff doesn't make sense. But you need, you're not trying to fix the bill. You're trying to fix the billing experience. Right. The billing experience started when the agent sold the policy because he didn't necessarily explain it well enough so that when the customer got the bill, they didn't have shock, fear, worry, and remorse. So human-centered design is about the experience that identifies the impacts prior to the event. Right. To to make sure you have a good event when it occurs. So is that like if I'm a B2B company or another company, is billing like one place you could really start? I mean, I'm thinking that somebody's got to say, I got to see this work. Yep. Pick one thing. And again, one of the things we've always said is two mantras when I work with companies. Don't boil the ocean. Pick right. one thing. And clunky is good. Solve it in the simplest way you can to get it started because you've got to earn the right to keep doing the work. So pick something that's so obvious and also operational that it's not a kumbaya moment, but rather something that you can get in and change. You've got the levers to change something. And then watch the complaints fall. 
watch the complaints fall and your people be happier. Don't wait for survey scores and right. all of this stuff that's down the road. Focus groups and all that. Those things are good. I do focus groups, but I don't have people in the room with mirrors. I sit in the room with customers talking about their emotions and what they're trying to accomplish. That can be part of what informs how you redesign. But again, don't make it something that's so enormous that it's going to take 12 years. Pick one thing, like the front line has to toggle between 15 screens to know the value of a customer so that you can give them permission to make exceptions. Right. That's a great first one to start on. You know, almost every front line is you've got data, but it's so discombobulated that yep. you can't find the customer's life in there anywhere. Or the customer's got to remind you they just called somebody in another department. Right. All those simple things. But. Simple. And what's interesting is by 2020, there's a lot of research out there that says customer tolerance for a company not having a record of their relationship, there's going to be zero tolerance by then. Right. Especially this, this you know, I don't like calling them millennials, but this group of up and coming consumers are walking away based on what they perceive as lack of respect, lack of understanding, and lack of you know me. Right. Now, I'm going to ask one last question that you ask at your podcast. <laughs> what do you know now that you wish you knew then? You know, it's interesting because I, I did this work for so many years. And the one big thing that I always coach people on and I know that's important is check your ego at the door. When you're doing this work, it's about shining a light on others right. and being the glue to enable them to come together to deliver something that's important and bigger for the entire company. The other thing that I write about a lot, when I wrote my first book called Chief Customer Officer in 2006, after I came out of Land's End, or mostly Allstate and Microsoft, the big companies, was something called the power core. The power core of the organization is the part of the company where the leaders know it the best. It may be what they've come up from. People ask for that the most. You need to dance with the power core. Find what the power core cares about and make that one of the first things you improve. Because if you get their appreciation and understanding, right. for example, at Allstate, they were a sales-driven company and a insurance vertical-driven company. We found something important that the actuaries cared about. The senior guy of sales, we changed the compensation of the agents to be just from sales to overall retention. When they saw me as a serious operator, somebody who got the business, we started dancing. Right. Once you dance with the power core, man, you can keep on dancing and you can find other dancing partners. The other big important thing is you've got to ring the money bell. This is not kumbaya, we right. are the world. This is about growing the business, earning the right to grow by improving customers' lives. One of the things I talk about with all of my clients is what I call do customer math. We have to elevate the customer as the asset of the business. So in every organization, you should know volume and value. I use whole numbers because I don't like retention rates. You don't think about the human. How many new customers did you bring in? Let's say you brought in 20,000 with an estimated value as they enter of X. But how many did you lose in that same quarter? You may have lost 17,000 in that same quarter with an estimated value of X times three. Do the math. What's your net customer asset growth in that month or quarter or year before annual planning? 
If you start doing that, that's your customers voting with your feet. And it's what your senior leaders can all start every key meeting with. It can't be refuted either, right? You can't regression analysis your way out of that or cross-tab your way. You either gained more customers than you lost or you didn't. We want to make doing business personal. That's the whole point behind asking this mom question. When you think of, we lost 17,000 human beings for whatever reason, I want leaders to have, I'm Italian, agita. Get a little sick in their belly and then care about the why. Until you get people to care about the why, you can't get permission to do the work. Excellent. Okay, we've been talking to Jean Bliss. Thank you for participating here on the Edgewise podcast. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. And I hope everybody goes out and buys a copy of the book. Thank you. Follow American Management Association on Twitter to learn more about upcoming free programs, the latest news, management insights, and special offers. You can follow us at A-M-A-N-E-T. That's A-M-A-N-E-T. Hope to tweet to you real soon. feedback very seriously here at the AMA. If you get a minute, you have some thoughts about this program or additional questions, just send an email to us at podcasts at amanet.org. 